Amen. Thank you, Pastor Boots. Again, thank you for taking such good care of me and my family. We've enjoyed being here. Great uh, hotel, if not the best hotel, one of the best I've ever slept in, and and uh, great breakfast there. Great fellowship here. And uh, look, teenagers, you got to look at the positives. And uh, one thing with this conference, uh, you know, this is the first conference. A great uh, start to Lord willing, many more uh, next year. Lord willing, looking forward to bringing our youth group down. Here, I'm not planning on preaching, just planning on attending, amen? Uh, but, uh, you know, you guys kind of lucked out with not a lot of people here because you got more prizes, amen? So, uh, it's been a great conference. I've enjoyed it. And I thank the Boots again. Thank everybody for your hospitality, your kindness. It's been refreshing to me and my family, and great to meet another brother in Christ. Uh, the title of this afternoon, this morning's message is Follow the Chain of Command. Follow the chain of command. We'll use our Bibles here in a minute, just like kind of a sword drill. We'll look at several different passages of Scripture. Uh, But the theme of the conference is contending for the faith, fighting for the faith. Uh, And you can't fight for the faith very effectively outside of the chain of command. Uh, Before I headed, before I heeded God's call in my life, I wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to be a Marine and shoot people legally for freedom. Kill commies for mommy, you know. Uh, it, it always tickled me, though, when I saw uh, someone who was a rebel. He didn't want to follow the rules. They didn't want to obey their parents. They didn't want to obey their school teacher, their principal, their pastor, the police. They didn't want anyone telling them what they do, what they wanted, that what they ought to do. They thought they were a tough guy, so they signed up for the Marines. Do you know the first thing they teach you when you enter the Marines? How to obey orders. (laughs) And they start with simple things like how to respond correctly to authority. Uh, When the drill sergeant gives you a command, you always respond, yes, sir. You have to make your bed in the Marines. You have to dress neat. You have to keep your hair cut nice. You have to brush your teeth. You have to shine your shoes. You have to do push-ups when they tell you to. In fact, they tell you when to wake up, when to get dressed, what to get dressed in, when to eat, when to sit down, and when to go to sleep. You know why they do that? Because in the Marines, your life and everyone else's life in your unit depends upon you being able to follow orders. In the midst of battle, if your sergeant tells you to attack in any position right away, and you hesitate and say, you know, Shards, I'm not sure. Is that the best course of action here? Can we have a committee meeting? And I don't know. I just, I don't feel well today. I got kind of a tummy ache. Do I have to go charge that position? If you hesitate or you push back against the authority and leadership, other people lose their lives as well in battle. You can't hesitate when you're given an order to move and charge and attack. You need to move, charge, and attack. In the Marines, they teach you to follow the chain of command. You know, the Army's made of a bunch of different fighting groups, fighting units. Uh, There is, the Army has one commander-in-chief over it who gives instructions to his generals. He has a meeting with the generals. He gives the the instructions to the generals. The generals go and they have a meeting with their uh, colonels and majors and they they give instructions to them. The majors and colonels have a meeting with their uh, lieutenants and captains and then dismiss them. Lieutenants have a meeting with their sergeants. Sergeants have a meeting with their corporals. And corporals get down to the privates and say, all right, this is what the commander-in-chief wants us to do. There's different fighting units. There's different groups. 
the, you know, uh, the big army, let's say you have an army, it's divided into four sections, and those four sections are divisions. It's divided up in divisions. Those divisions can have as many as ten to 15,000 men in them. Those divisions uh, are led by uh, generals, and those generals uh, tell their men what to do. They're uh, non-com and, com and commissioned officers what to do, and it gets smaller and smaller from army to division to brigades to battalions, which are you know commanded by colonels. Down to they can have a thousand men in them, all the way down to small fighting units called squads. You've got a fighting unit, maybe four guys that go into a building. One guy has his gun pointed this way, one has his gun pointed that way, one that way, one that way, and one's pointed up, maybe he's in the middle. And everyone's covering their area of responsibility so all those people don't die and the enemy gets conquered. How a squad gets along and works together affects whether it survives or not. How a, let's say you have four squads coming into this building. One's coming in that door, one's coming in this door, and one's coming through that window. But the guys at the back door, are having, they're, having, they're having some issues. It's my turn to go first. No, you're supposed to cover the roof. No, I want to go first. And while they're hesitating and waiting to come in, these two squads come in. That side isn't covered, and this whole, this whole squad dies because someone wanted what they wanted. Do you know, when it comes to Christianity, we're in the army of Jesus Christ. And the army of Jesus Christ has a commander-in-chief. We'll look at that, who that is in a minute. God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. But the army of Jesus Christ has different groups, different fighting units, churches. And in those, those churches are smaller fighting units, squads called the family. And that platoon... 10 to 50 people in the army of Jesus Christ fighting for right in this community is only as strong as the weakest squad or family in that platoon. If a small group, if that squad of that family doesn't get along with the other families, the other squads, it's going to limit that church's, that platoon's ability to fight together as a team. And it's going to open that platoon up to attack from the enemy because the unit is fighting itself from within. Satan likes nothing more than to see a young person push back against their parents' leadership. Well, why do I got to go over there? Well, why do I have to do that? Because your life depends upon it. And you don't realize it, but how you obey your parent determines your life when you're outside the home. Your life depends upon it. The lives of your family depends upon it. The lives of your church members spiritually depends upon it. If Satan get a family to fight itself, he knows he has weakened uh, your family's ability to fight for the gospel because you're too busy fighting each other. Well, it's my turn to sit in that seat in the car. He touched me. Right? Satan loves it when he sees a family in a church fight with other families in the church because he knows he has now stopped that church, that platoon-sized group of Christians, from focusing on spreading the gospel. Now they have to deal with trying just to get along and deal with an attack inside the fighting unit. They're limited now to defeat and attack sin in their town and community because a squad isn't getting along. 
Let's look at who the commander-in-chief of the gospel army is. Look at Genesis 1.1. You guys are good at your, your uh, sword drill and things. You should be able to find this real easy. We'll read through a couple passages of scripture. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So who created everything? God. Who owns everything? God. He's the commander-in-chief. Look at verse 26 and 27. And God said, let, them, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Who made mankind? God. Who owns mankind? God. Look back at the back of your Bible. Revelation. Start in the first book, look at the last book, Revelations chapter number 4. Would you love to hear the pages of the Word of God turning? Look at Revelations 4.11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You want to know why you were created? To please God. Amen. To please God. If you look through Ecclesiastes, the wisest man to ever live is trying to figure out what's the point of living life. He, he gives his heart to mirth. He tries to live through entertainment and pleasure and laughter. And he's got his, he has his own choir that will come and sing to him if he wants them to before he goes to sleep. Sing me a number. He has it all. He's got pools of water. He's got pools inside and outside. You can swim from his pool, from the indoors, outdoors. Solomon had all the bells and whistles. He had everything. He had more gold than anyone else potentially has ever lived at one time. At the very end of Ecclesiastes, he says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He said, the duty, the whole duty of man, your whole duty in life is to fear God and keep his commandments. Your whole point of living is to please God. That's why he made you. That's why he made you. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You look around anywhere, north, east, south, up, down, around, telescope into the sky, everything you see, God made it. No one else did. He owns it all. Look at Hebrews chapter number 9. Verse 27, 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, what? The judgment. After you die, you will answer for how you lived your life and whether or not you tried to please God with it. You'll answer to God one day. You, you, you'll stand before the Lord and your daddy won't be able to, to stand there for you. You've got to stand there. Your mama's not going to be able to come up and say, Now, Lord, he's such a sweet boy. She's such a sweet girl. You will stand before the Lord and he'll say, How'd you follow orders? Did you try to live your life to please me? Listen to these three verses, Isaiah 45, 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. 
It's God saying that. He also said in Romans 14, 11, as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. He said again in Philippians 2, 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Satan himself will bow the knee to God one day. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Back just a book or so from Hebrews. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. Talking about being a soldier in the army of Jesus Christ. Paul's telling to Timothy. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men. Let me just say another reason why you need to make it young people is because the next generation of young people will not have that pastor and that pastor and that pastor and me to tell them it's up to you. And I like what he pointed out in his, his message last night, uh, saying, will God find any faith on the earth? Well, let me just answer that. Uh, the, the answer will be no if you decide you're not going to live for him. Because if you don't tell the next generation about Jesus Christ and you don't stand for him and tell the gospel of the next generation, who is going to? Will he find faith? The answer is yes. If you decide today you're going to live and try to please, please God with your life, he will. And in verse 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look, life is hard no matter which side of the tracks you're on. Life is hard if you're on the side of righteousness because you get attacked for that stand. Also, it's hard because you have to uh, be tempted to go and, and get into sin. You have to fight that, and, and you get up every single day, and you have to renew your mind. You get up every single day, and you have to put on the armor of God. And look, that's tough, and that's hard, and that's difficult. Over here is difficult too, but it's to a, a greater degree. Over here, you have peace. Over here, you have guilt. Over here, you have joy. Over here, you have shame. Life is hard for everybody, but it's a whole lot easier to endure the hardness of Jesus Christ and do right. Although it's difficult, it's not as hard as a broken heart. It's not as hard as feeling separated from God and like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Life is hard no matter which side you choose. If you want to choose to stand for live for right, life's going to be hard. Endure it. If you choose you're, you're going to quit, fooey on this, I'm tired of fighting, I'm tired of how hard it is, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, I'm going to go and do this, then you end up like that teen girl in my youth group in Arkansas who made the same decision and ended up living in her car, strung out on drugs, homeless, because it's just too hard to listen to mom and dad. It's too hard to try to do right. If you ask her today if she'd go back and change her decision to endure the hardness over here or endure the hardness she's had to endure where she's at, guess what she'd say? She'd stand right here and look at you and she would say, do right. It's less hard than what I'm facing right now. Look at verse number 
For no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Look, there's a right way to do things, and you can't be immersed in the world and in sin and in flesh and look in a lot of entertainment that's in the world and be a good fighting soldier for Jesus Christ. You know, when I'm going, if your Marine is going to go into battle, he needs his weapon, he needs his uniform, and he needs food, some spiritual food. But you know, a Marine that's going into combat, he does not strap on his back his flat screen TV and his Xbox. All right, Sarge, we'll get out there in a minute. Hold on, I'm almost, I'm almost beating this level, just, just, just a little bit longer. Can I kill this guy before I go kill that one? You know, in Hebrews... Paul cautions those in Hebrews not just to lay down the sin that, that besets them, but he says, he says, lay aside the weights. You know, there are some things in life, they're not necessarily wrong, but they slow you down. They slow you down spiritually. They hinder what you can do for God. Lay those aside. 1 Corinthians, listen to this, 6, 19 and 20 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? That ye which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is God's temple. When you accept Christ as Savior, he moves in. Satan has to move out. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are with you right now this morning, just like they're with me. The body is God's temple, and to keep it useful to its full potential for Christ, you got to keep it clean. Now, I'm not talking about showers, although that helps. We thank you. <laughs> but internal cleanliness is even more important than your outward cleanliness. If Satan can, he's going to desecrate that temple. He's going to cloud your mind. He's going to attack you through your eyes. He's going to attack you through your ears. He's going to attack you through your thoughts. Let me just say, you're living, you're living, uh, there's one, one way that, that you're walking that, in a way that I, I never had to walk, and that is in the area of technology. Technology is advancing so much and so fast. Let me ask you this, how many of you young people have a cell phone? Raise your hand. Okay, that's, that's a good thing, but let me just say, eventually one day, most likely, you probably will. And one thing I did not have to face as a young person was attacks through entertainment and the wrong kind of things through, through the internet and things on cell phones. But one day, you're going to have to face that. You're going to have to face that. We're going through a transition in our church because all of our kids are now teenagers. Most of our kids are teenagers. And the parents go from, you know, I know how to get my young person to do right because I said so, and if you don't, you get a spanking to a teenager where you're too big for me to spank. <laughs> and I actually have to philosophize with you and make sense. One, one area I realized, you know, with our teenagers, we're going to lose them, and, and, and they're going to get wounded. They're going to get weighted down. They're going to get distracted, deceived, discouraged, destroyed through their cell phones if we don't prepare them how to use it. You, you can't just keep... Keep your kids from something until they're an adult. And when they get out of your house into adult, you don't teach them how to responsibly use it. They're just going to run wild. So one thing I realize we need to start doing is 
being accountable and starting an accountability program with our young people, especially those that are getting cell phones. There is safety in accountability. There's safety in accountability. I am accountable. So one thing we started doing, and I, and I, I met with uh, you know, all of our men and boys who went on a fishing trip, and I said, look, guys, I said, technology is an amazing thing. And just downloaded an app today called Picture This. And you can put it on a leaf, and it'll tell you. I don't know if it would tell me. It'll probably tell me what this is, even though it's fake. It'll tell you what it is. My son needs it to identify poison ivy correctly. How awesome. There, there, there's cool things on here. Uh, there's PayPal. I have my insurance. I have a calendar. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I have a link where I can look at the cameras at our church to see uh, if someone's trying to break in or not. Uh, you got the Walmart app so you can order some more food and candy. Uh, there's my bank app. There's all kinds of awesome things that you can use. But Satan, he, he really wants to use this to get at you in a, in a negative way. So another thing that, that we did is we, and I, and I told all the men, I said, look, boys, I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. And I want you to see by example that it's not that we doubt you. It's not that uh, we, we're questioning your stand for Christ. But so we have something on our phones, an, account, an accountability app called Covenant Eyes. And this is all the staff men in my church, the teen boys in my church who get a cell phone. We pay for it for, it, for, the, for free on their phone. They can have this. It takes a screenshot of everything you look at on your phone, whether you're on the Internet or not, and you have an accountability partner. And it'll send them an alert if it picks up that, that something has, has come up on your screen that could wound you or hinder you from serving Jesus Christ. And when my kids, they're just a couple years away from getting a phone, I'm going to put this on their phone to teach them how to be accountable with it and that they can answer to somebody for it and not feel attacked so that when my boys go to college, they'll still keep it on their phone. And look, and they'll have access to what I'm doing on my phone. And they can see that dad is leading by an example, and I'm just trying to protect them. It's not that I don't trust them, but I sure don't trust Satan. And you will not succeed for Jesus Christ if you do not allow accountability in how you interact with entertainment and the internet on your phone. And I'm just telling you right now today, you don't have a phone. Count your, count your blessings, because it's a whole, whole, you know, can be a, a, a negative thing, but when you do get a phone, use it in a positive way and allow your parents, your pastor, to help guide you and allow, allow, allow yourself to be accountable to them. I get, I get nervous and scared for somebody when they say, no, I don't want that. And I've had a teen boy say that to me. You know what? Satan, Satan is really attacking him right now, and he's struggling with a lot of things. And he's wounded, and he's getting out of the fight right now. I hope he'll stay in church, but I don't see that happening. And, and if, if Satan can wound you just by your cell phone, he will. You say, I don't have a cell phone yet. I'm trying to prepare you for when you do. There's safety and accountability. God has given you a chain of command to follow young people, and your sergeant, your first leader as you train to be a leader yourself one day is your parents. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Your commander-in-chief is telling you, privates, 
to obey your sergeants, your parents. Because it's going to please your commander-in-chief, the head of the gospel army, if you obey the leaders he has placed over you in your life. Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents in the, in the Lord, for this is right. Let me just say, the number one reason you obey your parents is not for your parents. Because parents are not perfect. And parents will not always make the right decision. But whether or not they write the, make the right decision does not give you permission to stop obeying them. God says, look, obey your parents in me, for me. Because sometimes your parents lay down their armor and maybe they're weak sometimes and maybe they, maybe they come across too hard and as Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks to them, maybe they'll come and apologize to you. Maybe they won't. But if you can't obey your parents, you're not going to obey God. And they say God never makes mistakes and never uh, gets on us the wrong way. And, and look, I'm just saying, allow your parents to be human. Don't, don't throw them away because they made one bad decision or yelled at you too hard one time. You still need to obey your parents. To please who? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And God makes a promise to you. He makes a promise to you that if you obey your parents and honor them, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. You want to enjoy your life when you're out of the house? Obey your parents while you're in it. You're setting yourself up for a tough life if you want to be, if you want to push back on the authority of your parents. A statement that I heard that changed my life when I was your age. Listen to this statement. And I'm coming to an, an end. The landing gear is down. I am circling the runway. Have you heard that before? I don't know. But this, this statement a preacher made changed my life, and I heard this as a young person. He said, treat your parents like you want your children to treat you. Treat your parents like you want your children to treat you. Obey your parents like you want your children to obey you. You have to ask yourself some tough questions. Do I want my children to obey me like I obey my parents right now in my life? Do I want my children to respect me with the same respect I have for my parents right now in my life? That really challenged me because I, I, I wasn't being respectful to my parents at that time and I heard that like I should be and I thought, you know God, I, I don't want my kids to... <laughs> to obey me like I'm obeying my parents right now. I mean, I'm obeying when they see me, but when they don't see me, I'm not. Or I'm saying yes out, out loud, but inside I'm saying no. God help me to be the kind of child, son, that I want my son to be for me. And that helped me. Lord, help me to have the respect for my parents that I want my kids to have respect for me. Do you respect your parents like you want your son to respect you? You obey your parents like you want your son to obey you? Do you respect your parents like you want your daughter to obey you? Are you obeying your parents like you want your daughter to obey you? It's a tough question. But what you do with that question, how you answer it, may decide what kind of kids you have. Because I've heard this before too, whatever kind of child you are to your parents, that's the kind of children God's going to give to you.
Do you want to have three of you running around the house? <laughs> Time to shape up, right? <laughs> oh, man, I, I'm in trouble. We got we to gotta do something about this, right? You may be doing right. Look, if you're doing right, keep doing right. But if you ask yourself that question, like, you know what, there's some things I, I need to change because I wouldn't want my kids to treat me like that, then change them. Treat your parents with the same respect you want to receive from your own kids. Obey your parents like you want your kids to obey you. Let me say, if, if you have a major spiritual decision to make, go to your, to your spiritual leader, your parents, and ask their guidance on it. And if it's something maybe they think, you know what, let's go to, our, let's go to the captain of our church, the troop leader, the platoon leader here, and let's, let's get him involved in this decision too because the commander-in-chief is obviously, he's, he's trying to give you some instructions. So let's get a, a bunch of our leaders together to pray and ask God to make it clear exactly what path you're supposed to go down. Listen, you know, God has placed this man, this pastor in your life to help you. When, when he gets up and preaches the word of God, the word of the commanders in chief, and you push back against that, you're putting yourself in a dangerous position spiritually. Make sure you yield yourself to God and you're, that you're, you're, you're surrendered. And, you know, when God says something, you, your response is, yes, sir. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for getting hold of my heart as a junior in high school. What I wanted to be a Marine and make a difference for freedom for my country. And Lord, you touched my heart. You just helped me see that you had a place for me in your army that could make a difference for freedom also for my country. And Lord, I pray you just please continue to help me to be surrendered and yielded to you. And in every way you touch my heart, may I be yielded. God, I pray you please bless these young people. Speak to each and every heart this morning, Lord. Help them to make a decision that they're going to do what's right. They're going to stand for what's right. And Lord, they're going to obey their parents in honor and respect of you. And Lord, they're, they're gonna, not going to fail. They're not going to fall. That they would decide, I'd rather have the toughness of doing what's right than the shame and the pain and the heartbreak and the failure and the guilt and the sleepless nights of doing what's wrong. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you will. We're going to have a time of invitation. I think this is one of the things that, that honestly, and, and, and again, you know, it's not, you know this, we're not, we're not here counting how many people are coming down to the altar and making decisions and all of that kind of stuff, and so I'm not just trying to get you to come down to the altar for the sake of coming down to the altar and making a decision, but honestly, I think it's a decision that every single kid in here should make. I'm going to obey my parents, I'm going to follow my godly leadership, I'm going to do what's right. And even if you're already doing that for the most part, you can never ask God's help for that enough. You can never rededicate yourself to doing that enough because that's something that honestly the devil is going to come and attack you with every single day. You don't need to listen to your parents. You don't need to, to do what they're doing. You don't need to honor your parents. You don't need to you know, in fact, you know what? Just pretend like you're doing it, but in your mind, you can act however you want to act. Honoring your parents is not just something that you do on the outside. It's something that you do in your heart. Following your parents' advice, listening to the Word of God, following your pastor's preaching, and all the things that you have, those are all things that, that every single day the devil is going to try to attack you to keep you from doing. And so... 
the piano is going to play, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And this is something that you need to make sure that you're doing in your life or get back to doing in your life or keep doing in your life, whatever it is. I think it's a great opportunity for you this morning to make sure that that's right with God. So as the piano plays, you come on forward.